We're going to turn to God's word as we read it together this morning, and Andy is going to come and read for us. So last week, Gerald spoke on Acts 7, which was Stephen's sermon. We're going to keep on reading from the end of Acts 7, uh, verse 51, and it's Stephen speaking here where he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So far from God's word. Well, as we consider God's word this morning, I'm sure we would all agree that good things can come out of bad situations or difficulties in our life. People say, Something along the lines of, if it wasn't for such and such happening, I would never have met a particular person. Or sometimes they say, if it wasn't for such and such happening, I never would have got to see a certain place or do a certain thing. Many of you, I'm sure, will be interested in the Olympic Games, which is coming up soon. And there have been a few athletes who have had to pull out or who are choosing not to compete as a result of the coronavirus. And so when that happens, it gives someone else an opportunity. It gives someone else a shot to take their place. And in sport, it is often the same. A key player gets injured and so a youngster has the chance to prove their worth and they become in and so often a star is born. Even out of the bad, some good comes. And in our passage here, we have what's a truly terrible outcome. But actually, it was the birth of something truly wonderful, and every part of it was God's design. And so we are reminded and we are taught today as Christians that even the events that take place in our world and in our lives are not pointless. If you're a Christian, they are not without value or purpose, but are in fact used by God. And so therefore your life is used by him in order to fulfill his worldwide and eternal plan of salvation. It's exciting that we get to be part of that. 
It's also a challenge and no doubt at times our lives can be difficult or trying. But it's wonderful to see that God is piecing it all together. And so we want to see then how this plays out today in our passage from Acts 7 and into chapter 8. As Andy mentioned last week, when Gerald preached, we looked at his sermon in Acts 7 from verse 1 all the way up to verse 50. He carries on from verse 51 as was read this morning. What we discover today as we read on is the result of his preaching of this sermon is that Stephen is killed. The Jews are so angry about what he said that they stone him to death. What we need to remember as well is that Stephen gives this sermon on the back of being seized when we look back into chapter 6. They accuse him of blasphemy. They say that he's spoken against God and against Moses, against the temple, against the law. And so they call him to account. They bring him before the people and it is from there that he speaks. And so the first thing that the passage shows us that we need to understand is this. The Jews did not see the error of their ways. You see, they have accused Stephen of something. And Stephen gives us this sermon. And as we discover in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. Why is that? What was it that Stephen said that should cause them to be so furious? Well, remember, they have brought Stephen before them. They've accused him. And what Stephen does is he turns the tables on them. They can clearly see what they perceive to be the error of Stephen. But they cannot see the error of their own ways. So Stephen points it out. And now with your Bibles before you, I hope you have them as we look on and read together. I wonder what you make of verse 51. It says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so did you. What is this statement? Is this the statement, that one verse alone, that gets the people mad? Or is it something else? I wonder if you think verse 51 is related to the previous 50 verses or not. Does actually, Stephen, does he state verse 51, does he make that statement on the basis of the previous 50 verses? See, I think if verse 51 is independent of the previous 50, you wonder why he needed to say that at all. If it's just a condensed history of the Israelites, then it really doesn't need to be there at all if he's able to rebuke them and arouse their anger with verse 51 alone. But rather, I believe that verse 51 is a statement concerning the history of Israel as Stephen has just told it. Verse 51 describes what Stephen has just explained in the previous 50 verses. When we look back through the sermon, as Stephen goes through the history of Israel. In verse 9, we discover the patriarchs 
Joseph's brothers were jealous of Joseph. They sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. Joseph brought the word of God to his brothers, and instead they sold him into slavery. When we move further on in verse 25, we find out about Moses. He supposed in verse 25 that his brothers would understand, that is after he'd struck down the Egyptian, that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. Instead, they reject Moses. They question whether he can be judge and ruler over them. We read in verse 35, this Moses whom they rejected saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? They failed to heed the word of God through Joseph. They have questioned the leadership of Moses. They have rejected him. And then as we read on in verse 37, this is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go out before us. They reject Moses, disobey him, thrust him aside. And instead, they worship idols, they reject God. And they again instead turn to idols. They rejoice in the work of their hands instead of rejoicing in God. And so as a result of these things, Stephen says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ear, resisting the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, as I've just explained to you, as your fathers did, so do you. The sermon is given to show that this stiff-necked resisting of the Holy Spirit has continued throughout the history of Israel, right up until the time when Stephen preaches. I think there's a couple of things that we can learn and understand from this. I think that what we see is that God was gloriously gracious and merciful to Israel. Throughout their history, they were stiff-necked, and yet he still sends them the Messiah. He still sends Jesus so that they might be saved. He continues to be patient with them, long-suffering but they remain stiff-necked. I'm sure many of you will understand what that phrase stiff-necked means. It really comes from agriculture, and particularly in the time of the Israelites, as they would understand in history, oxen were used to plough the land. But sometimes, even with the goads, the little prick to try and turn and make the oxen move faster, the oxen would remain stiff-necked. It would be stubborn and hard to move, so it would be considered stiff-necked. You can imagine it keeping its head in one place and as such saying, I'm not going to go that way, refusing to turn its neck in either direction. I'm going this way. That was the Israelites. They have resisted God and his word. 
And if that condensed history wasn't enough, Stephen goes on and says that after David and Solomon, they then persecuted the prophets. They did not see that Jesus was the Messiah promised by God. Instead, they killed Jesus. The Jews are blind to the error of their ways and the ways of their descendants throughout history. Their inability to see the error of their way is like that of King David, of whom we read in the Old Testament. You might remember he grows furious at an example given to him by Nathan the prophet of a rich man who mistreats a poor man. David says the rich man should be put to death, but then Nathan says, you are that man. He says that in light of how David has dealt with Uriah. But what we see is this. David repents. The error of his way is pointed out to him and he repents. That's very important. What we read on and discover with David after that incident is that he admits his error. He recognized his need to change. He repents. And we should too. When we see the errors of our ways, we should repent. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he says we should ask for forgiveness. And every week as part of our service, we have a prayer of confession. Why? Well, it is part of our worship. Because we remember that our desire in life as Christians, for those of us who are Christians, our desire is now to bring glory to God in how we live. And sinful living does not do that. But our willingness to reflect and to remember our sin and to confess it to God gives glory to him. It's part of our worship because we recognize that he alone is the one who can forgive sins. He alone is the one who can transform our lives. We come before him because we want to no longer live to sin, but to righteousness. And so we all need to repent. That is to seek forgiveness from God and turn from our sinful ways and instead follow him. Perhaps for some of you listening, it would be for the first time that you would repent. Maybe you would see the error of your ways, that you've neglected God and his ways. You've chosen to live life your way and for yourself instead of God's way for his sake. But you can repent. Turn your life around and choose now to live life with him and for him. And when you see that, when you see the error of your way, when God opens your eyes to that, as he has for me and for so many others listening this morning, then you need to repent and turn to God. Stephen has been held by the Jews, accused of blasphemy and of speaking against God. He's being held to account. And in fact, as Stephen proves, it is the Jews. They are the ones who should be held to account but they do not see the error of their ways. The Jews who are there with Stephen, they hear the rebuke of God against them, but they do not repent. Instead, they respond with violence and hatred. And that leads us to our second point. 
After the Jews do not see the error of their ways, it leads to Stephen seeing Jesus. We've already read verse 54, where we discover that after Stephen spoke all these things, the people were enraged, furious. I imagine that most of us have known what it feels like to be angry, maybe even furious. Maybe someone has said something or done something or you find yourself in a situation or you look upon a situation and it makes you so angry, furious. Maybe in your anger you have lashed out at someone. You've given them the sharp end of your tongue or even more. Can you imagine being so angry as these people though? They ground their teeth in anger. Verse 57 said they cried out with loud voices and they rush at him. They charge him down. They essentially beat him to the ground as they charge against him and then they stone him to death. They've not seen the error of their ways and they fulfill exactly what Stephen has just said. Which one of the prophets have you not persecuted? And here is Stephen speaking the very words of God and they kill him. But here's also where this whole thing starts to turn. Stephen dies and it starts something huge. Out of the evil and the terror of his death, we find good, much good. And not one part of it is out with the hand of God. Stephen is stoned to death. He becomes the first martyr for Christ, the first person to die for their faith in Jesus. And as he dies, there are two critical things we need to see. The first is that, again, Stephen sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Let me say this, death is an enemy. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25 and 26, we read, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death was never meant to be a part of our world. But for the Christian, while it is still an enemy, it is a defeated enemy. There is death only in this life for the Christian. Jesus has defeated death. Death is not the end. Death does not need to lead us to hell, but rather into the presence of God where Jesus is. And for those who love Jesus, to be with him is the most beautiful thing we can imagine and that we can be assured of. For the believer, for the one who loves Jesus, who's repented in their life, realizing the error of their ways and who has instead turned to live life with Jesus and for him, there is a promise of heaven, of seeing Jesus when we die, of going to be with him eternally. You see, there is no sting in death because Jesus has made a way for us to heaven. If you are a Christian and you have put your faith in Jesus, then your sins do not condemn you anymore. And when you stand before God, as all human beings will stand before God and give account of their lives, you will be at that moment clothed with the righteousness of Jesus and welcome to heaven 
as God's child. Jesus is waiting, ready for all of his saints, all of his children to come to be with him. Stephen dies and he sees Jesus. Those of us who are Christians, therefore, need not fear death. The other thing that we discover in Stephen's death, the second thing, is what he says that they rush at him and start to stone him. Read verse 60. It's remarkable. As they were stoning him, he called out, Lord, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. Do not hold this sin against him. How can he do that? How can you find forgiveness to say that to people as they are raining rocks down on you to put you to death? For much less, many of us have and continue to struggle with forgiving other people. We remember, of course, that Jesus said the same thing when he died. In Luke 23, we read of Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How could Jesus say that? He was an innocent man without sin. And he's asking that God would forgive those who are even putting him to death. And I think Jesus could say what he did because the whole reason he came to earth was so that was that human beings could be forgiven and be part of his kingdom. Stephen, I believe, is a man like that. He is on mission for God, a man living for the glory of God. The mission of God is utmost in his mind. It is more important for him to love his neighbor and his enemy than even his own life. He desires that people would be saved even those who are stoning him to death, that they would be one to Christ, even at the expense of his own life. Naturally, we struggle to forgive people, but we're commanded in the Bible to do so. And when we look at Jesus, and even here we look at Stephen, we see that they did, they did forgive. And as we think of the life that Jesus lived, because he lived this perfect, sinless life, and even as part of that was able to forgive others, he's done what we cannot do. We are now able to do that through him. His death and his resurrection opens up for us the way into his kingdom. And we here now, his children, are filled with the same Holy Spirit that so filled Jesus and again filled Stephen so that we now have the power of God in us to forgive other people. Perhaps today you need to pray and ask to be filled with the Spirit of God so that you might have the power to forgive someone. And so Stephen sees Jesus as his life is taken from him. And yet that leads us to our third and our final point. As he sees Jesus and is killed, we, we you and me, we can see Jesus' words fulfilled. 
The Jews didn't see the error of their ways. Stephen saw Jesus as he was put to death. And the result of these first two points is that we now see Jesus' words fulfilled. We need to look at the result of what it was that took place. The first thing we read after Stephen's death, saying Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Great persecution broke out. They were angry enough with Stephen to kill him, but they were obviously so angry that they chose to take that rage against everyone who claimed to be a disciple of Jesus. And it was not just a passive persecution. It was persecution that caused the people to scatter, to leave where they were and to move somewhere else altogether. When you think of refugees in the world today, we see the camps and wonder how terrible it must be. What a sad state it is that these are even needed. But sometimes people would say, why would you stick your family in a boat and risk your lives to leave the country you're in? Surely it's because the place that they are in is so much worse than the risk, the risk involved in leaving there. That must have been the case for the Jews. The persecution was so bad that they fled. But the main point is this. It's the point that the whole of Acts chapter 7 leads up to. See where it was that they went. On that day there arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles who remained in Jerusalem. Do you see where they went? Judea and Samaria. It's incredible because what did Jesus say at the very beginning of Acts in chapter 1 and verse 8? He says, stay where you are because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem as they have been and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus' words are being fulfilled. We can see God's purposes prevail even as evil takes place. There's a phrase perhaps you have heard which says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Throughout history, Christians have been persecuted and where they have lost their lives, where persecution has been raised up against Christians. That blood sown that persecution has tended to reap then a harvest for the church. The church has thrived and flourished and grown. And with the death of Stephen and the scattering of the disciples, that is exactly what happens. As we move further into Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Jesus says this is what's going to happen. And he is the very one who makes it happen. Even in the evil and the terror of Stephen's death, Jesus is scattering the people into a place where they then will go and share the gospel. The church grows and it flourishes so that now even you and I get to hear the gospel because it has been scattered so far and so wide. God's salvation plan was taking place just as he had said. One of the incredible things we also see here is the introduction to us of Saul. 
who approved the execution then ravished the church. Saul is a key person. But rather than ravaging the church and persecuting the church to destroy it, as he intended, God was using it all to raise up a man who would become Paul, who would take the gospel to the ends of the earth and further fulfill the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Paul would take the gospel to the Gentiles. He would love the church rather than seeking to destroy it. You know, sometimes events in the world and in our lives are hard to make sense of. We cannot see any purpose in them. Maybe some of you are going through trials right now and know this, God has to be using it for your good. Because he says if you are his child, then all things work together for good. You might not recognize it as good at this time. You might not see the outcome of it. But let me tell you, if God says he's working for your good in all things, then your sufferings and your trials must be for good. He has to use them. They cannot be without value. They cannot be worthless. When things happen that you do not want to happen, when things do not happen that you do want to happen, if you are God's child, they have to be for good. They must all be part of his plan. In Habakkuk, we read that the glory of God will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. What God says is going to happen is going to happen. And everything taking place in your life right now, in the past and in the future, has to work towards that end. It has to be for your good and it has to bring glory to God. And you may not see it, you may not understand it, but that's what God has said and what God has said will happen. I don't imagine Stephen knew as he died that his death would spark the spread and the growth of the church. I don't think he knew that on that day Christians would be scattered. He wouldn't have seen it. But he persevered under trial and was faithful to the mission of God. Can you say the same? But even under trial and difficulty, you persevere. Again, as Jesus persevered under trial, as Stephen did, we also are called to do that. But in ourselves, we do not have the strength to do that. But now because we're united with Jesus, part of his kingdom, enabled by the Holy Spirit, we can And so let me finish. Some of you have maybe heard the illustration and considered the work of a tapestry. If you've ever been to a museum and you've seen a tapestry, they are quite incredible works of art. Often remarkably coloured, intricately woven to display images which are clear and obvious. It's a remarkable craft. But if you turn the tapestry over and you look at the back of it, 
You see its many threads, but they are a seeming tangle of threads, a mess of colour, revealing almost no image or picture, as if to suggest no craft or skill. And our world and our lives can look that way. As Stephen is stoned to death, to the disciples at the time, it might have looked that way. And yet our world and our lives are in the hands of a master craftsman, of the creator of the whole world, of the one who sustains and upholds and orders the events of the whole world, even today. God. And so be certain that your life and the events in it and all that takes place in our world today is all certainly, without doubt, leading towards the glorious end that God has in store for this world. That he will return and bring all things to an end. And every eye at last shall see that Jesus Christ is Lord. His salvation plan will be complete. How incredible. I think God chooses to use us as part of his salvation plan in history. We therefore can have assurance of his salvation plan. Assurance that he works for good in our lives. Assurance that nothing is wasted, worthless or without value or purpose if it is in God's hands. We then need to consider whether we, like Stephen, whether like our Lord Jesus, our men and women and boys and girls whose lives are submitted to him, fully given to him, on mission for him, seeking him in all that we do. And though life will inevitably bring trial and difficulty, it will also bring great joy, assurance, peace with God that ultimately will lead to us being with and seeing our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we thank him for all his work in our lives and in the world. And we look forward to what he will continue to do as his word spreads and grows. Amen.